Welcome to Liquid Church Audio. The message you're about to enjoy was originally delivered at Liquid by Pastor Tim Lucas. LiquidChurch.com, living water for a thirsty generation. Now, we're live on the web. And they lived happily ever after, right? <laughs> Not so much. Uh, well, good morning, Liquid Church. How are you guys doing this morning? Good to see you. I want to welcome you to part three of our, our current series called Love and Respect. We're looking at relationships through the lens of men and women. And whether you're single or you're dating, you're married, you got kids, you're single again, whatever. I thought we'd begin today actually by reading a passage that you would typically hear read at a lot of weddings. And so I invite you to turn with me. There's a Bible on your seats, Ephesians 5, uh, verse 23 through 33. And uh, you can take that Bible on your seat, turn there with me, it's on page 813. And Ephesians is actually a letter that Paul, the Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus. And it's a pivotal passage of Scripture when it comes to really understanding male-female dynamics. And it contains some important insight about how God wired men and women um, differently, really with different core values. So let's go ahead and read this together starting at verse 25. Paul writes this, he says, says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. Uh, He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it, just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. Verse 31. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. You hear that at a lot of weddings. This is a profound mystery, but I'm actually talking about Christ and the church. However, verse 33, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must, what's the word? Respect her husband. And you'll notice that last verse 33 really highlights an important distinction about men and women, that although God created each of us equal in his image, male and female, we each actually have different core values. Women need love, and Paul says men actually need respect. It's as if we've been saying that we see the world in different colors, and in many ways, pink women see the world through pink sunglasses, right? We've been saying through the lens of love, all conversations, all events, all token acts, they interpret it through the, 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 the prism of love and affection. However, for men, they don't see through pink lenses. They see, they see through blue. And uh, the, the idea of respect, actually, that's how they read into conversations and acts and all that kind of thing. And, and it's a different language. And, and the problem occurs, really, when men and women, we don't understand the language of one another, and we attempt to communicate, but we're using the wrong, the wrong methodology. I mean, if we take a guy, a guy who, a blue, could be good-willed. But if he doesn't understand pink's world... Well, you know what happens when Blue attempts to communicate, but he doesn't understand Pink's language. You ever see this one? Uh, this is called, someone sent this to me, I appreciate this. It's called, Why Men Should Not Take Messages. Um, if you're on the, listening on the internet, we're looking at this handwritten note that some poor guy wrote, some sucker wrote, and stuck on the refrigerator for his wife. And it says, someone from the Gyna Colleges called. They said the Pabst beer is normal. I didn't even know you liked beer, <laughs> you know? Male and female, right? We speak these, pink and blue, we speak these different languages and a lot of times we are well-intentioned but sometimes stuff just gets lost in translation. We miss each other. And the language of love can really be a mystery to a man. 
Um, last week, ladies, we learned that the power, actually, of respect, actually, to stir a man's soul, actually. We looked at the story of David and Saul and saw how unconditional respect... When you love to be loved just unconditionally as you are, a man loves to be respected, even if it's not deserved or earned. It literally has this power to transform a man's life, and it motivates him to be a better one than the one he even is. Respect is the language of blue. Now, every man knows that intuitively. You actually probably see it best illustrated like in the military. I want you to imagine um, a four-star general, Marine general, and he's going he's, he's to say, I'm going to select 300 of you, hand-select you for a special forces elite fighting unit. You're going to go in behind enemy lines, and we're going to specially train you. And he, and he picks these 300 men, and he leads them through grueling training, but after a week, it's not going so well. And so he gets all the troops together, and he walks up to them, and he says, Men, you stunk today. You were miserable. Every, you stunk. That was, I was absolutely horrible. I, I, I get, look at me, soldier. Get your head, look at me. You men were horrible, but understand something. I believe in you. I, get your head up. Look at me. I believe in you more than you believe in yourself. I admire you men. You, you, you have more athleticism in your little, than I, in your little pinky than I had my whole year. Look at me. I am going to lead this troops together. I am going to be the first one on the field, and when they shoot bullets, I'm going to be the first one to die. But mark this, we are going there together, and we are going to take us to heights as a team. And mark this, the world will hear of every one of you. Because I get, look at me, I believe in you. We will die together, and I will be the first to go down. But we are going there together, because you men have something in common in this world, and that is courage. Now, ladies, I don't know if you know how men feel when they hear a four-star general speaking that way to them, but that's what we call unconditional respect, unconditional admiration, and belief in that man to become something better than they are. And it, it, it stirs him. See, when men hear that, they actually do two things. One, they serve. That's why we call it the service, right? Hey, where, where'd you serve? Oh, I was in Iraq. Yeah, no, desert, desert storm. Oh, I was there too. I served there too. The service stirs something in a man's heart. Second thing they do is men sacrifice. They give their lives. They are willing to die if need be. And um, they are willing to give their lives for those they love who they have made a commitment to serve because they share a code. Men of honor, a code of honor, a code of respect, and, and they're men of honor. And really, that's what this whole passage in Ephesians 5 is inviting us to, men. At its heart, this is a full-on invitation to serve and sacrifice for the ones you profess to love. So to serve your wife or your fiance or your girlfriend or, or the mother of your kids, to sacrifice for the heart of a woman, this one you've committed to. And we do that not to, not to follow some four-star general, but actually to follow the leadership of Jesus Christ himself. Verse 25 says, Husbands, love your wives just as, let's read together, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. In other words, in our relationship with women, we are to imitate or to follow the model of Jesus who came into this world as a servant. He made himself nothing actually to display his authority. It wasn't a dominating one where, where he ran all over people. On the cross, he literally did what? He gave his life for the ones he truly loved. That's you, that's me. So to serve and to sacrifice for the woman, it's a call to leadership, men. Greater love is no man than this than he lay down his life for his friends. So catch this. If you're a follower of Jesus, men, this today is a crash course in learning how to serve and sacrificially love that woman, your sister in Christ, properly. 
It's, it's grounded in respect for Christ and in love for her. And women, that's why, honestly, you can take the risk to show unconditional respect to a man who's following Christ. A lot of women, red flags, like respecting men, I don't know, we're the ones that, not because he's perfect, he's going to have a bad hair day just like you, okay? Um, you, you are not in a relationship with a perfect person, and, and newsflash, he's not either. Um, but over the marathon of a Christ-centered marriage or a relationship, he will serve, and he will die for you if need be. That's that's the calling of men here in Ephesians 5. And, and, and some of you married men have responded to that. There was one man, he said, uh, you know, sweetheart, I, I love you so much. I, I, I love you so much. I would, I would die for you. And his wife said, oh, Dave, you keep saying that, but you never do. You know? <laughs> Here's the deal. If you want to be a man of honor, a man of respect, to truly serve and sacrifice for a woman as Christ invites us, you're going to need to learn to do some things that won't come naturally to you. You will need to learn to think pink. <laughs> Today, men, we are lear- we're going to talk about learning her language, what love really means to a woman, because it's more than chocolate or cards or like token displays of affection. But now hear me, understand this. This is not about becoming pink. That's what our world makes this like. You know, you need to get in touch with your feminine feelings, guys. This is not about becoming touchy-feely because you know what? The world needs real men, okay? Oh, wait, the, it's so funny. At the 9 o'clock service, there's like a, there's like a kind of a grunting kind of thing, right? Ephesians 5 is this call to actually live as men of honor from a deep place in the masculine soul where you are literally willing to lay down your life for this woman if need be. A literal parallel of Christ sacrificing himself for us. So I hope you hear this as a call to action, to strength, to serve, to sacrifice, not to become pink, but to bleed blue and to live and to love as men of honor in your relationship, no matter how inadequate you feel or scary that may may seem to you. So what I really want to focus on today is what builds that closeness between a man and a woman. What is it that builds that closeness? You see there in Ephesians 5, Paul's actually summoning back to Genesis, the opening of Genesis 2. It says, For this reason a man shall leave his father and his mother and shall cleave to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. That Hebrew word there, cleave, it actually is like glue. It means kind of like permanently bond or stick together, never to become apart, you know? Check this out. Did you know this? Um, Of all the species in the world... Human beings are the only creatures that are sexually intimate face to face. No other creatures in the entire created world are sexually intimate face to face. And that's not just scientific fact. That is spiritually significant. Um, You and I, my friends, men and women, we are created in the image of God, equal bearers of God's image, unlike mammals, fish, any other genre of creatures, male and female, created in his image, in his likeness, and to help get the point across, God's like, I'm going to give you a visual. I created the husband to cleave to the woman, and the woman to cleave to the man face to face. And in in some sense, she echoes him. And she wants their natural God-given desire to be face to face. God's designed her with that need. Planted within her that desire for closeness. She longs for that. And that face-to-face closeness is a huge value for her men. Look at Genesis 29, 34, and you can see it in the language actually used here. My husband will become attached to me, okay? It's not just a clingy. It's kind of like an integration there. Or you listen to Solomon 3, 4. When I found him, whom my soul loves, I held on to him. And I would not let him go. That's the, that's the natural impulse. Generally, women who are in love with a man, they, who, who love to love, it's their nature to nurture. They want and they desire that closeness with the man. And, and this isn't clinginess, okay? This isn't like just, this is a deep need set within pink by God himself. 
Okay? We are in the, uh, this is a Genesis, this is in the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures. And the Hebrews were ancient people. They were known for their wisdom. They were known for their insight. And I love the advice that Deuteronomy 24.5 gives new husbands. Take a look at this. They actually had a law. When a man takes a new wife, he shall not go out with the army, nor be charged with any duty. He shall be free at home one year, and shall give happiness to his wife whom he has taken. In other words, the Hebrews had a law for newlyweds. They said to the man, he wasn't going to go off to war, undertake any big projects, that first year marriage. Why? Well, Hebrews understood that the the woman had needs that he didn't necessarily have. In that first year of the relationship with all the emotions, all the things that the woman felt, the transition, the adjustment, she's going to leave her mom and dad, she's going to move in with this guy, there's going to be underwear on the floor. All these things going on. They said, you have one job. You stick close by her that first year. You don't go out with the army. You don't take on big projects or commitments, but you stick close by your wife. She needs you to be close and you make her happy. And then at the end of that year, you can go off to war and die. But you, you stick with her that first one. You guys know this. Um, you go to Starbucks. You've been to Starbucks. Starbucks is, is one of the most totally segregated environments you will see in the 21st century. Because men and women completely different there. You see, because you see in Starbucks, you got, the, you got those little round tables and they got these nice little high back chairs and everything. And, and, and then they got chairs that are in the corner, right? By like the Wi-Fi and all that kind of stuff. And uh, where do you see men and women sit in Starbucks? You ever notice this? It's kind of like a middle school dance. They're actually totally segregated. Here's what you don't see in Starbucks. You don't see three guys come waltzing in off the construction site, you know? Like 6'4", 6'3", 230 pounds. And they they kind of like, you don't see them coming around the little, kind of sandwich themselves in those little chairs around the little tables and and kind of start, you know, pouring the coffee and kind of leaning in towards one another. Hey, hey, how are things going on the construction site, Glenn? How, how, how How are you feeling about the delays? Is it making you sad? You, you, they, don't, they don't do that. You just don't see them jammed in there. Instead, you see two or three women, and they're seated around those little tables, and they're leaning in, and you see the expression on their you know, eyebrows, the wrinkling, all of that, and they're talking. They're talking face to face. It's called giving the report to build rapport. Men talk to exchange information. Women talk to connect. It's not even about the information. They're sharing their feelings. They tell their stories. And on the other hand, in Starbucks, where do you typically see the men? Where are they? <laughs> Right? Yeah. If they're face to face, it's with their laptop in the corner, you know, just kind of cruising, you know, and it, on the screen. It's the middle school dance. Neither is wrong, just different. It's how God wired us from early on. I saw this with my little girl, Chase. She's five years old. And at night, I sometimes read her stories, and now she's like recognizing words. So sometimes she's like, no, let me read the story. Dad, I'm like, oh, excellent. Go for it, you know. And so she makes it up kind of she goes along. And we lay there on her bed, and, and usually she just starts talking, once upon a time, there was a princess. And then she's just like, her name was Chase. And she, and she starts telling me a story, and I'll listen to this. And one time, you know, okay, bad dad, you, you just, you, you fall asleep, you know. And my, and my head just bobs, and it was amazing because when my head bobbed, I felt on my face and she turns and she goes daddy look at me you know and and it's amazing because i already at five she has concluded that if i am not looking i am not what listening we know that to be true there's something within your daughters your wife or your girlfriend that's hardwired for this face-to-face connection that's what creates closeness between you and the kind of closeness i'm talking about really rests on two main components two main pillars and that is openness and understanding. And, um, and these originate with Dr. Emerson Egerich. Uh, I told you, PhD, I've referenced him a couple times. I want to give him full credit for this message. He wrote that book, Love and Respect. And he really goes into great detail about many of Pink's core values. You know, we're going to touch on a couple things today. But you can pick up that book at the Welcome Center if you, if you want to read further. But, but as I said, for women, 
face-to-face contact is, is second skin. It's nature. They know it brings closeness. And what's strange is, is that a lot of times, you know what I, a lot of women sometimes are talking about, actually, when they're leaning over Starbucks, as I've listened to, like, Colleen's conversation, a lot of times they're talking about conflict, N- not explosive stuff, okay, but, but like, little stuff. Um, for instance, I've noticed that if Colleen gets, in, like, if she se- even senses that there may be a little static in a relationship with one of her girlfriends, she actually, you know, guys are like, oh, whatever, blow it off. She hits it head on. And it's not because she's confrontational. It's not because she's mean-spirited, but because Pink, she's like, oh, it's the loving thing to do. I I value the relationship. I've seen her and her girlfriends. You know, she'll she'll actually call someone and say, hey, you know what? You haven't returned my emails. Did I do something? Are you you mad at me? And I'm like, holy, hypersensitive, you know? Like, chill out. You know, why are they so worried? Guys, they're not worried. (laughs) It's just one of the primary ways that Pink naturally nurtures that relationship. She builds rapport. She seeks to keep things running smoothly with people she loves and cares about. And, and her girlfriends go, oh, no, I've been busy with the kids. Little, little Sophie was sick and then Jonathan was throwing up. I haven't showered in two days. Oh, okay, you know. She wants to clarify things, especially when there's potential conflict, no matter how small, because she wants to preserve the relationship, keep it free of rifts, because she loves to love, which isn't simply not how men do it. <laughs> We're taught, guys, right, don't make mountains out of molehills. And the idea of confronting somebody else, like head on, like, I need to talk to you face-to-face, eye-to-eye, which is how Pink does it and says love. Whoa, that's a different thing with the lens of respect. If you look, think about the animal king, I'll give you a practical example and bring you back. If you look at the alpha males in a wolf pack, right? Think of, think of a wolf pack. You have the senior alpha males and the younger males. How do the younger males relate to the senior alpha males? You ever see this? They, they, they won't look at him directly. They, 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 you know, they'll, 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 they'll glance, they'll cower, but they'll look away. They will not make direct eye contact because they're making a statement. When there's a conflict, they'll do the honorable thing. They'll, they'll say, I, I don't want to take you on. I, I look away. Now, jog- joggers, any joggers here? Joggers would tell you this. If you're a marathon or whatever, if you're jogging through a neighborhood, and a dog takes off running at you right on, the, the most important thing you do is do not look at them. You just keep jogging straight ahead. You avoid eye contact. And they say, look straight ahead. Don't, don't turn to the dog. Whatever you do, don't turn and square off at the dog, okay? Because you just keep running. And the dog will run right at you, but he'll pull up short because he's territorial. But you're making a statement by not actually looking directly at him. And the statement is, I respect you. I'm looking away from you. I'm not taking you on. I'm not picking a fight with you. I'm not moving into your territory. Now loop back. There's an interesting implication to that because in a relationship, guys, you know this, when you get into a fight with a woman, she will most frequently move directly towards you <laughs> in that conflict. She will move right at you, looking right at you. And, and, and not, it's not because she's mean-spirited. It's not because she's looking to pick a fight. Even most of the time we, deter, we, we interpret it that way. But this is a problem. She's seeking to do the loving thing, which is she loves you. She cares. She wants to confront the issue. She'll, she'll confront to connect. She wants reassurance. She wants to repair things if there's a problem. She wants to openly tell you how she feels because it's loving. But in Blue World, you feel like, what is she, why is she always, why are you up in my face? What's going on here? You're trying to pick a fight. Because we interpret it through this lens of respect, not love. And so what happens is when a man feels disrespected, if it's another man, someone's going to probably get clocked <laughs> or bit. But if it's a woman and a man is good-willed, if he truly cares about her, guess what he's going to do? He's going to actually kind of do the honorable thing, actually, and walk away. He's not, he's not going to engage because he's not, he doesn't want to have a fight here. Look away, walk away, go, go quiet or silent, which in the world of the blue alpha is the honorable thing to do. But in the world of pink, now, oh my gosh, now he, he doesn't even love me because you're shutting down on the relationship just when I need you to open up the most. 
I, I tell you this out of, not just scripture, but out of experience. Colleen and I have entirely different approaches to resolving conflict, as she herself will tell you. How do I know when Tim is mad? Well, I think I would best characterize it as what I call the silent snit. Um, he, uh, it's actually great because, of course, I'm very verbal. So when we fight, I get more and more verbal, and he gets more and more quiet. And he does this thing where he'll start doing something in the kitchen, like washing the dishes, which he never washes the dishes, so you know it's coming, like the snit is coming. And he'll start, and you, you know, he'll start there scrubbing the dishes as hard as he possibly can. Then you see his jaw tense up, like every muscle over here start to flex. The veins in his neck start to pump, but he doesn't say anything. And I'll ask a question, and he'll just be like, huh, fine, you know. It's actually a very female thing to do. I don't know where he gets his mom, probably his mom. But anyway, um, he'll do this, and it drives me crazy. The thing is, it literally, like, pushes my buttons and makes me jab him more. So the silent snit starts more of a cycle for us, really. Not helpful. Makes the fight bigger, right? Not helpful. Yeah. Just go to your corners. Why do we need to talk about this? No, we, we need to talk about it. Have it over with. Just let it go. <laughs> you know, I used to think it was about ethnicity. Colleen is half Irish. She's half Italian. And, uh, and sometimes, how do I put this politely? Sometimes those ethnicities are known for expressing their discontent dramatically you know the, the you know the fighting irish you know they're gonna let you know they're upset right i mean italians don't even need words they, they say it all their hands well you got a problem with me you want to do you know kind of they use their hands my family is dutch <laughs> growing up no one yelled in our home i literally don't have a memory of anyone raising their voice in my house you you come from scandinavia things are very stoked same with asian culture very animated displays of emotion are looked down upon if there's a problem you actually grow quiet <laughs> And so early on in marriage, suddenly I'm, I'm sharing this house with the, this person who at, at times seems possessed. Uh, you know, we, we'd have a conflict and, and she's like, whoa, she's turning up the volume. And I was like, wow, whoa, who, who is this devil woman? This is, uh, you know, but the more you dig into the biblical perspective on the male-female relationship, the more you realize this is not an ethnic issue, although family background is certainly a factor, but rather this is primarily a pink and blue issue. Colossians 3.19, Paul writes this. This is an amazing kind of extension. He says, Husbands, love your wives and do not become, what's the word? Embittered against them. Again, here's a New Testament command for men to agape their wives. Show unconditional love and affection. But then notice, attached to it is this instruction to not become embittered on the inside. In other words, the opposite of love in this case, in Paul's mind, is bitterness. Which, what is bitterness? It is really this interior anger that you have going on inside, but actually goes unexpressed. You know it as kind of like, it's, it's when you get like kind of secretly mad. You know, like, I'm really upset with you right now, but I'm going to take the high road and not say anything and just radiate. <clears throat> just feel it coming off them. Or maybe you're not even that direct. So you go, you know what? You know what? I'm going out for a drive. Just whatever. I'm, go just leave me I'm going to my corner. Leave me alone. And, um, and, and when there's a problem, the guy walks away silently thinking like, you know, she, she can't treat me this way. I'm not going to love you until you show me, start respecting me. And we get secretly mad, we, you know, the silent snit, as Colleen calls it. And we harbor that resentment. And you know what? That is a killer to pink. Because she cares for you. She's actually coming, she's coming towards you. And you miss her heart. Guys, if you're in a relationship and you don't learn to be open, actually, with your thoughts and feelings, that is doomed. Because one of the outstanding qualities of pink is that God made that woman expressive, responsive. That's how he has wired her. 
That is, most women are very integrated, okay? Whereas guys, we tend to be a little bit more compartmentalized. I mean, when a woman's spirit is wounded, it's almost impossible for her to hide it. You're going to see it on her face. It's interesting. Colleen, I won't give away too much. Colleen's chest actually gets very blotchy when she gets upset with me. You actually see it start going up into her neck. She did it earlier at the service. Uh, and, and then she starts doing this ner- nervous twit. Just kidding. She did, but, she, but, her, but physiologically, she actually responds because she's integrated mind, body, soul, emotions all together. And her face and her physical body actually reveal what's going on inside because women are often very integrated. On the other hand, when I am wounded or upset, most of the time you won't know because, or you, maybe you think something's wrong because I get quieter, but, uh, but I simmer. <laughs> My face actually usually goes, goes slack. In fact, when I'm really mad or upset, I actually get very, very polite. Hello. Oh, really? Okay. That's nice. Smiling. Uh, I remember uh, about a year ago, um, Mike, uh, Mike Leahy and I were taking a trip out to a pastor's conference in Indiana, you know, 10 hour, you know, 12 hour drive, like 10 hours are through, you know, Pennsylvania and, uh, you know, we're driving on the way out there, and Mike's speeding. He gets a huge ticket, $270. Whoa. So it's like, you drive the rest of the way. It's like, okay, you know. And I'm like, I'm about, you know, 65. I'm going to go maybe four miles over, 69. And we're driving all the way out, and we're in the middle of Indiana. And I'm going, you know, and we are 10 miles away from where we were trying to get, okay? We've driven about 11 hours. We're 10 miles away from it, and it's 2 a.m. in the morning, and woo, lights pull me over. Indiana State Trooper. And I'm like, oh, you got to be kidding. Four, what? And he pulls us over, and of course, you know, New Jersey plates and everything. And I'm like, hey, uh, officer, what's the problem? He's like, license registration. He goes, yeah, he goes, you're going a little, little bit faster. I go, yeah, yeah, I go, I know, I, you know, 65, I think we're going 69. He goes, actually, it was about uh, 72. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I, I am so sorry. That's, that's my gosh, that's almost seven miles an hour over. I guess I was in a rush to get to the pastor's conference. <laughs> Not so much. And he just goes, okay, wait here, pastor. Goes away and he comes back and he goes, uh, I got good news, uh, bad news. He goes, um, situation is this. He goes, since you're about seven miles over, the problem is, is that this is a construction zone. I go, what do you, what do you mean? He goes, you see that orange cone over there? And I'm like, yeah, there is one orange, this is two in the morning. There is one orange cone over here. There is nobody for miles. We're in Indiana. And he goes like this. He goes, uh, the problem is, he goes, they actually cut the, the, the speed in half. So it's actually 45 miles an hour. So the ticket's going to be 270 and it's doubled because you're in a construction zone. You're just safety. He goes, but what I'm going to do is uh, I'm not going to ring up your buddy here for not wearing a seatbelt. So anyway, uh, and all of a sudden, like, but I'm just like, oh, thank you for that. Thanks for that. He's like, you're welcome. Uh, you know, now listen, if you want to contest this, you, you know, you can uh, appear in court, drive back about 11 hours, you know, and uh, oh, really? Oh, great. Thank you. Just right, drive right back here? Really? And I'm like, and he's like, yeah, you're going to be okay. I was like, oh yeah, I'm fine. We're only 10 miles out. So this is, this is that. Thank you for that warning. And he's like, okay, well you have a nice day then. Okay. And I was like, no, no, you have a nice day. <laughs> and I'm like, well, you know, do they double it again? If you strike an officer, you know, it's like, it's like, wow, when I get upset, <laughs> I actually get more, I kind of, kind of shove it down a lot of times and get more polite because blue is more compartmentalized. When wounded or upset, men often shove our emotions into compartments. We don't let you know what's going on inside. You know what? Sometimes we can't even like verbalize it. And you know what? Sometimes that's a weakness. And sometimes that's a strength. There are strength and weaknesses to both pink and blue. I mean, women can be hypersensitive. But yeah, at the same time, they can care and nurture and show compassion for people in need. When someone's in need, they are right there. You know what? Men can compartmentalize and shove their emotions into boxes and not let you know. But when we shove those fears into compartments, we can also march right to our death, dying for you. In Manhattan on 9-11, 99% of those who went back up into the Twin Towers were men. The men in blue. 
Because men have this capacity to shove their fears into compartments and march straight into their death. And they do it all the time. And there's this incredible strength. It is part of the way that they were made in the image of God. It's part of their role, their responsibility to love their wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. The point is that pink and blue respond differently to conflict. Not wrong, just different. And men, to push into that, not away from it, may require you to actually step over a lot, but it's one of the ways you are called to love that girl. When, when Colleen has a problem, um, she lets me know about it. And it's not just because she's Italian, obviously. God made her pink, female. But from her perspective, when she's upset, the loving thing to do is hit that problem head on, which usually involves talking. A lot. <laughs> Even if it's awkward or painful. She's like, I'm willing to do that because I, I care about Tim. I value him. And in times of greatest uncertainty, she wants reassurance from me the most. But Blue interprets it as disrespectful. And it's like, why are you picking a fight? And that kind of confrontation, it feels like she's trying to control or, or, or amp it up. And so what happens is we stonewall. The silent snip. Trying to keep my cool, not react. Because it's the honorable thing to do. But it sets her off more because to be withdraw or to be silent. Now, now it's like... He, he, you don't even care enough to, to engage. So what does she do? Turns up the volume. And you know what's going to happen? That's, that couple's going to take a nice spin on the crazy cycle. The point is, Paul says, men, under no circumstances are you to harbor that secret anger. <laughs> Husbands, don't become embittered in the course of conflict so that everything just goes unresolved because you will be dishonoring that woman. You know, I think if you're like me, a lot of guys, we think, you know, like, well, you know, if something's wrong, why pick the scab? Like, okay, she's already upset, so why bother her with what's bothering me? Guess what? Newsflash, ready? You are going to bother her if you don't bother her with what's bothering you. <laughs> this is going to be upsetting because, when, in fact, when you shove your emotions into these encarments, you become this, like, mysterious island that women are forever paddling around but like not really ever able to land there. They're kind of like paddling around you, like I'm always paddling around, but he won't permit me to land and come ashore. Guess what? The more she loves you and cares for you, the harder she's going to ram that canoe in ashore because she is coming up, guys, because you matter to her. She cares about you. That's just her nature. She moves towards you, not away from you. That's why she says, can, can, can we talk? Because she's trying to pull you out, <laughs> right? Now, guys, you and I tend not to need to talk on a, on a daily basis about relationships problems. She has a need you don't have. Is that okay? Colleen has a need I don't have. Now, I mean, we all have, obviously, these needs at some level. I'm not like some stoic, unfeeling monster, but I'm talking, we're multi-layered people, but I'm talking about primary needs here. And I had to come to a point where I said, you know what, that's okay, we're different. And I, because I am a man of honor following Christ, it is part of my responsibility as a spiritual head to sacrifice and meet her needs. She wants to talk about her issues openly. And I can go there, but it takes some effort. I can swim to that island. It's not natural for me. I, 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 I think about my issues. I don't necessarily want to talk about them because that would be redundant, right? But it's part of my sacrifice, my commitment to agape her, to guard against bitterness or harboring the secret anger that would actually choke the love out of our relationship. I'm learning the language of openness, and that's a good thing. Because it's literally changing our marriage. At the beginning of the series, I told you about that, that wine fiasco, that story at 
disaster at Colleen's 35th birthday. The, the, the short of it was that she turned 35. She wanted to go out with friends, wanted me to pay for dinner and all the wine. I was like, okay, no problem. But my buddies were like, no, we're paying for the wine. And, and, and they ended up paying for the wine. And when that happened at the party, Colleen shot me like this look like, what are you know, like that. And I just, this is because I felt disrespected, like she was calling me cheap in front of all my friends and everything. And it was amazing because she was a little bit upset that she felt unloved. I didn't take care of what she wanted. But I felt cheap. And so I went home, and, you know, and I was like kind of simmering. And it was like the reverse roles. I was like, no sex for you. You know, just kind of like this just total reverse thing. And, um, and it was it's hard because Colleen felt like I didn't take care of her, which she felt was unloving. And I was so mad because I wasn't being respected. I was being called cheap in front of my, my peers. And I just wanted to like blow it off. When it was over, I was just like, forget that whole thing. I don't want to dress it. But she, week after week, she'd bring this up, bring this like, what happened? And it was a year later, I mean, in counseling, when we even finally came to terms with that and understood. And it was so funny because when we left out of that session, I remember Colleen saying, she just goes, I am so glad we talked about that. I'm like, that was like, why do we have to go? She goes, I, she goes, I was just so confused. She goes, I had no idea why you were so upset. I had no idea you felt like I was calling you cheap. The last I would do is this in front of your friends. It's like, you know, and, and, and I was like, wow, this is weird because I just want to drop it and like, forget it. Okay. She pushed through my secret anger, and I'm glad she did. Fast forward. So last month, we go to the Golden Plow Inn. Anyone know where this is? It's a little bit in Pennsylvania. It's like 50 minutes away. We go to, before this series starts, we're like, we need time to reconnect. We ditch the kids two days away at a bed and breakfast. And we go there, and we had time to talk. We reconnected. And the final day, we go out for breakfast. And they give you, like, when you stay there, they give you, like, half-price coupons to get breakfast right in the place. And so we're talking, actually, about love and respect in the series. And, like, wow, we really missed each other when we had that wine fiasco. Oh, yeah, it was horrible. And the worst part is we're having this moment of connection, right? No kids, the whole thing. And we get the most obnoxious waitress in the entire United States. I'm convinced about it. Because she keeps coming in. You know, it's like you appreciate good service, but then it's like, you need more coffee? No, 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 thanks. I, uh, no, no more. Oh, are you trying to quit? No, actually, just decaf is fine. Oh, we got a great amaretto. Actually, it's interesting about amaretto. When I was younger, I, da, 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 and she kept like always, got, and I'm just like, you know what? I go, we're just, you know, just kind of get real polite. Actually, thank you. Um, we're just going to talk then. And, uh, and she keeps interjecting this whole time of this breakfast. We're trying to talk and everything. And so anyway, all that happens. I go to the bathroom. I come back. The check is there. And, and, and I go, oh, okay, let me see the bill. And I, get my, uh, I, start, I start writing in, in, in the amount there. And Colleen leans across the table. And she goes, hey, Tim, just, just be sure you leave a good tip, okay? And I was like... Okay, I'm going to step over this. Like, she probably doesn't even realize, like, the irony. Like, we just talked about, I don't like being called cheap. I don't know why she's doing that. And so I'm like, what, you know, it's a couple of bucks. It's just breakfast. So I start filling in, and she, and she just goes, okay, good. She gets her cousin, and she goes, did, did you tip on the whole amount? And I was like, son of a gun, you know? I, I, admit, I, I started getting mad. I was feeling insulted. She's, like, pushing that old button. I'm like, he's 10 years now into this. It was, she still, like, thinks she doesn't trust me to do the right thing. So we get in the car. We start driving home. I'm upset, but, but I'm like, you know, step over it, whatever. I'm not saying a lot here. And Colleen has no idea. And we're in the middle of driving here back to Morristown, New Jersey. And, and she says, she goes, hey, you know, thank you for these two days. This was like, this was like really special. And I'm like, yeah, you know, sure. And, uh, and then she's crying. And she goes, she goes um, I just felt so bad for that waitress. I'm so glad you gave her a good tip. Her husband just died last week. And, uh, and she was telling me while you were at the bathroom, her husband passed away and she has nothing left. And now she's all alone. She has two kids to support. Poor thing. She was working three shifts in a row. Da, 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 da. And I'm like, <laughs> just like that, everything changed and nothing changed at the same time. It was like scales dropped from my eyes. Colleen 
had no intentions of criticizing or disrespecting me or like calling me cheap as I I'd felt it. In fact, she was simply acting out of Pink's nature, which is actually to show compassion and extra care for someone who is hurting. <laughs> and, and I interpreted it as like, oh, here we go. She's trying to nail me to the wall with this thing. And I, I, I actually said, oh, my God, uh, yeah, no. Hey, thanks for mentioning that. And then I, like, took a risk. I go, I, I actually, it's going to sound stupid, but I actually felt like you were calling me cheap again. And, and I, I felt, like, dissed, you know, like, disrespected. And she goes, oh, no, honey, not at all. I am so sorry. Not at all. Just, not, just tell me when you're feeling that way. I don't want to hurt your feelings. And this was right on the heels of talking about this wine fiasco. We just discussed it. And it was like I saw it, the, the green code from the Matrix starting to fall. Only it was in pink and blue. I was like, how often does this go on in relationships? The, 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 the situations and the stories and the conflicts change and, and we just keep missing each other. Missing what the other meant because I'm carrying around something different. I'm interpreting it different and, and we don't take the time to clarify. We keep it secret inside. And this has opened up an entirely new line of communication between us. Because now I'll, I'll, I'll sometimes say, you know, you feel stupid as a guy do it, but you know, I go, you know, it's weird. That actually is kind of making me upset. It's a little bit, you know, stepping on my air hose. Um, I don't do the silent snit. I actually say it. Or, or I'll say something. I see an expression flash across Colleen's face. And I'll say, you know, I'm, I'm sorry, sweet. Did what I just said um, come across as unloving? Yeah, actually it did. Yeah, it did. Openness. When you aren't secretly mad or embittered at her, men, but take a risk as a man of honor to move into conflict and not away from it. You will need to do that, gentlemen, if you're going to love pink for how she's been made in God's image. Protect that closeness. Now, the twin pillar of it is, of course, related. Openness is understanding when you actually empathize with her. And our text for this is 1 Peter 3.7. You can turn there if you'd like. It says, Husbands, in the same way be... What's the word? Considerate as you live with your wives. And this isn't like, just be like polite. This is be considerate. Literally, it, it's translated, consider her needs as a woman. How she, consider how she's wired. Another translation says, live with your wives in an understanding way. And everybody knows this. I mean, when you understand someone, what's that mean? It means you're able to actually put yourself in their shoes and actually identify with what, with what they're feeling, right? What they're going through. Fancy word for it would be empathy, right? And an ability to identify with someone on an emotional level, not just like, oh, I see what you're going through. I feel it. And this is very hard for men. It is a huge disconnect between pink and blue. Because whenever there's a problem or an issue, sometimes pink, all she wants is simply someone to listen. <laughs> but most men are what? Solution-oriented. Give me my tool belt. We like to fix things, which is very different than understanding things. And early in our dating in, in marriage, um, whenever Colleen came to me with a problem or crisis, I would immediately move into solution mode. And what was most confusing is that my attempts to help my wife by, by solving her problems often made the situation even worse. When there's a problem or we have conflict, I need Tim to just listen, but he always tries to solve it. Not so helpful. <laughs> Why is this not helpful? Well, it's like when I had my teeth done, that was a disaster, absolute disaster. I can't even begin to tell you. Basically, I was a little kid, tripped on the pavement, caught myself with my teeth, chipped them, so I had this dead gray tooth that's chipped for most of my life. Didn't even think anything of it. Anyway. Um, in college, Tim was like, hey, you might want to get that fixed. 
What's that? And I'd never really thought of it, but you know, if Tim's saying it, sure, okay, whatever. He even offered to help with it, right? Help pay for it. Nice guy. So you said I didn't have the money to help. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Anyway, so I get my teeth fixed, and um, the dentist does this horrible job. I can't even begin to tell you. It was so traumatic. But basically, I had knocked this tooth forward, so they tried to balance it out and make a veneer, and this veneer they knocked forward too. So, and of course, it's very chic to have longer teeth, so they made them longer. So I had, literally had two teeth that were knocked forward and long, and I looked like Bugs Bunny. I mean, it was horrible. And I'm crying in the dentist's office, and I'm asking the nurses, and they're just like, Oh, you know what? You know what you need? You you want them all done. You want all your front teeth done so they all match. And I'm like, doesn't anybody see that I look like a freak? But anyway, it, it I left, drove home, get home to the kitchen, and I'm crying, crying. Tim's like, let me see the teeth. No, I wouldn't open my mouth. I would not. I was like this. Nope, can't see them. Crying, crying. Hun, what's the matter? Let me see your teeth. I'm not showing you my teeth. So I finally show him my teeth. And he goes, hon, they look great. Which is not really helpful when you know you look like Bugs Bunny. I mean, there's Claudia Schiffer and then there's Bugs Bunny. And this was Bugs Bunny. It was not Claudia Schiffer. They weren't that bad. Yeah, they were that bad. So anyway, our friends were there, Hiram and Sherry. And Hiram is such a great guy, really sensitive. And anyway, he looks at Tim and he goes, Tim, what are you talking about? They look terrible. Her teeth look terrible. They need to be fixed, you poor baby. And he starts like rubbing my head and basically just telling me how bad they are. And I cannot tell you how comforting that was. She was a mess. She's all crying and everything. And I'm like, I'm like, comfort the woman. I'm like, they're not that bad. You don't look absolutely horrible. And she's just like, Tim- that doesn't help me. And then and then Hiram's all like, oh, you look like a monster. And I'm like, what are you doing? And you were like warm to that. You're like, this is really, do I really look that bad? He's like, I wouldn't even open your mouth. It's an abomination. And I'm like, this is not helpful. And so I was like looking at you and I'm looking at Tim him. Tim was getting like, mad. He wanted, he was literally getting mad at Hiram. But Hiram Hiram was the one who actually brought me comfort in the whole thing. Tim was the one who was making me crazy. Like, you need to hear, yes, it looks bad. You look like a freak. Not so helpful. I, I needed him to get in the pit with me. He couldn't do it. I do not understand. He's trying to fix me. I didn't want to be fixed. I just wanted him to feel really bad that I looked like Bugs Bunny. I do not understand the secret world of women. Nine out of ten times, Pink simply wants someone to listen. And Blue is solution-oriented. We like to fix things. It's not wrong. It's, it's, it's a source, actually, in our world of power, of respect, of feeling valued. That's how he's wired. There's actually nothing wrong with that. God designed us that way to, to figure out a solution if, if someone's in distress. Um, ladies, you'll actually feel, you will see the value of that, ladies. If your car conks out and you're straight on the side of the road, okay, you don't want a guy pulling up, rolling down his window and being like, oh, hey, how's it feel to be stuck? Oh, you must be so scared. Oh, how are you feeling? You know, you will know. You will value his solution orientation. Just get me out. <laughs> That's in a physical crisis. But in a long-term relationship, she needs understanding the most. And most often she doesn't want a solution. She simply wants an ear to listen. Not to necessarily solve it, but to get in the pit with her, as Colleen is always telling me, and understand what she's going through. Um, you might call this the three R's of communication um, in Pink's world. Um, again, as a woman who loves to feel, who feels and experiences things intently in, a, in an emotional way, in a really a right-brained way, she has an acute need to release emotion, to realize her emotion, and to report her emotion to you. When I say release emotion, what I just mean is to express what she's feeling, what is happening inside. So in a crisis or conflict, it's like a tea kettle. Like it starts building and that steam has to get out. And there's this, this that's natural and it's accepted in Pink's world. Every woman knows this. Half of them that you see, you know, kind of, you know going to Starbucks, half of them are crying 
crying or kind of leaning in or just, you know, expressing their deep feelings. And that can be scary to Blue because it's this unknown and intimidating world. And a a woman, the very sight of a woman crying ranks pretty much right up there in images of things that you want to immediately stop. It's like overflowing toilet, woman crying, just figure out something, get this thing to stop. Men are oriented to fix and solve and contain things. Again, it's a generalization, and that's great, guys, but she has a different need to release emotion. And if you are in relationship with her, guess what? It's going to be released at some point. And the question is, what are you going to do with it when that happens? Not only does she have a need to release her emotions, but half the time, many times, this boggled me to discover, she starts talking in order to actually realize emotion, to actually discover what she's thinking or feeling. She actually just starts letting emotion out, crying or saying things, to actually discover what she's thinking or feeling. And and, and she doesn't even... I I was shocked. I was like, she she doesn't even run those feelings through a filter before she says them to me, which is very troubling for Blue. I said that to Colleen one time. In the wake of, you know, uh, one of the blowouts, I go, "Why, why would you talk without thinking? And she was like... Well, to find out what I'm thinking. And you're like, whoa. Because <laughs> wait, guys typically, you know, you feel something and then you, we run it through a filter, you know, before we actually speak. And then we choose our words real carefully. Because we're going to try to explain. We're thinking in a rational, logical way. It's about facts and ideas. It's often very not personal. It's very left-brained. But for her, it's very personal. And when she's releasing her emotions on filters, she's just sometimes doing it to discover what she actually thinks about a situation. And that is very disturbing to Blue. It's very upsetting. Is that okay that she, re- she processes differently? Right brain, left brain going on here too. But gentlemen, she has a need to report emotion to you. And, and, and she reports to build rapport. Remember I said that earlier? Men talk for, for 90% of the time for one reason, information exchange. Hey, what time is the dinner party tonight? Well, how, you know, how late do we have to be there? Can we go there at 7.30? And she's like, oh, no, it's 7.45. Okay, well, you know, what time? You ready to go? I don't know. Do, do I look fat in this dress? Do I? She's not looking for yes or no. I've seen this because I, I'm like, how do you, you know, as a guy, I'm just like, you just make them excuses, get out of the room. But I've seen her go with her girlfriends, and when Colleen says, do I look, look fat in this? I actually saw one of her girlfriends goes, you look a little hippie in that. I'm like, oh, there go, boom, this is going to be cat fight. Not all, she's like, I thought so. I did, no, I do too. I use a scarf to over, and they get in all this, and you see the crux of the problem. She, it's, can you understand the way I feel? Yeah. And see, the crux of the problem, generally speaking, men appreciate facts more than feeling. And when she's got a problem, we move towards solution when all she needs most is for us to listen and just understand. Um, when Colleen, um, she, our, we have a young son, Dell. I've told you about him. He's three years old. He is a high-energy, strong-willed boy. <laughs> and he tests her at every level. He's going through this thing. And, and, and Colleen is a stay-at-home mom for most of the week. And he, Del runs her through the ringer. Just this high energy, always kind of testing her. And when I get home at night, um, Colleen meets me at the door, and I just be real candid with you. It is not Beaver Cleaver, okay? It is not like, "Welcome home, Ward. Here's your pipe." You know, how, how is your day? The paper is waiting. It's not like that. It's hard, and a lot of times she's upset. And and my little boy, I'll run her through the ringer. And when I get home, I'll be like, "Hey, you know, I've had, I've had 15 minutes. You know, drive home and decompress and everything. Hey, how was your day?" And, and she'll just be like, "I'm just glad you're home. I, I don't think I could manage for one more minute." In fact, I, I, you know, and then and I'm like, you know, there's tears, you know, in her eyes. She's like, I can't even finish dinner. Can we just go out to eat? And, and, and I'll be like, wait, what, 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 what happened? What, what happened? Was it crisis? And you know what? She's like, nothing. It's just, it's just, you know what it is? It's just life. It's just life. But when we first had kids and that started happening regularly, 
which to a man means more than twice. I'm like, this is a problem. This has happened before. I've seen this before. This is... And now she's always bringing it up, right? And that's where I get my tool belt on, right? Okay. I can do one of two things here, okay? First off, I try to go like, wait, what's the big deal? We just colored on the wall. We can just pay. No, it's, look, it's not that bad. What's the big deal here? Let's just finish it. Which actually, of course, minimizes the situation and negates her feelings. Or I try to solve the problem, which, which demonstrates I can handle it, but of course you can't. But th- what? Deli, come over here, boy. Boy, you need to give your mom a break here. You, you, Kyle, do you want me to call a sitter for tomorrow? We can get a sitter for tomorrow. You know what? We'll do, we will put Ritalin in his Pez dispenser. This will not happen anymore. <laughs> we'll just take care of this. Makes me feel better. <laughs> but the problem is both approaches miss her heart. It misses her heart. The emotional truth of the situation, she's just trying to release, which is this. She just wants me to know, Tim, being a mother is a mother. It is hard work. Can you meet me? Can you, do you understand that? No, I don't think so, because I could do this. I could. Guys, it doesn't matter if she is your wife, she's your fiance, she's your girlfriend, or just friends, or she's simply your sister. She is not nuts. She is not a drama queen. She simply has a need you don't have to release her emotions and be met with empathy, with understanding. And when you can't offer that, she actually gets the message loud and clear, which is this. I'm too much for him. I'm overwhelming. He sees me mainly as a problem to be fixed. Your role in the relationship is the same as Christ in relation to us. Remember this? Blue, you love pink as Christ loved the church. Men, in this metaphor, in the Bible here, you're the burden bearer in the relationship. You're the Christ figure in the equation. See, we as men, we're to place our burden on Christ, but she places her burden on us. It's actually a compliment. She's like, I believe you have the strength. I need you. Can I put this on you? But we often respond as if it were like an annoyance. Can you imagine this? What if, what if you came to God in prayer? What if you came to Christ in prayer and, and he said, you know, I'm fed up with this. You know, you're always coming to me with the same thing week after week. I tell you what to do. You don't even do that, you know? I got more important things to do in the cosmos than to listen to you again. How would you feel if, if you came to God and he rejected you us that way? We are all feminine in relation to Christ, who alone is the masculine head in that sense. The church is actually his bride. And in Ephesians 5, Paul's making a parallel here. He's like, the woman is the church figure, and she feels wonderful when she's free to come to you, her husband, the Christ figure, and place her burdens on you. She just feels wonderful. She feels relieved when she releases her emotions, and you bear up under them and emphasize, and you meet her there, and you carry them with her. She feels loved. So nowadays, in our, in our house, when, when Colleen is obviously upset about something, and she comes to me, starts releasing that emotion, I have learned to ask a very simple question that is making a world of difference in our marriage. You're going to write this down, guys. I literally, I just, I, I don't even feel foolish about it anymore. I just go, hey, sweet, just real quick. That's, do you need a solution or do you need me just to listen? And she goes, oh, I just, oh no, I just, I just need you to listen. Oh, okay. And it goes on, goes on with the thing. And it's okay. And I'm just like tune out. But I, I, that clarifying question is huge for us. Do you need a solution or a listening ear? That question will transform your marriage because it's powerful. You're saying, I want to relate to you as a partner to be understood, not just a problem to fix. I actually saw this in action, of all things, last Sunday night after I got home from church here at Liquid. Long day. And, um, you know, I come home last Sunday night 
And Colleen, and the lights are still on. I get home late. It's like 11, 11.30 or something like that. And I've been here all day and everything. And, of course, you know, my, you know, fantasy is to come home, you know, the conquering here. And Colleen being like, that was amazing, you know, like just be ready. And it's like not so much. And, uh, you know, I get home, and she's up, and she's sitting on the couch. I can immediately walk in. I see something's wrong because her neck is all blotchy. All right, it's all blotchy. And, and, her, and I, cause I was like, huh, what, what's going on? And she's sitting there with the, with, with the, with the cordless phone. And she's just kind of like, and, and her eyes are, are ridden with tears. I don't want to give you the wrong impression. She's not like, like some unstable person. It's, she is, I'm just going to let that go. She's ready, okay? Just, I walk in, I just go, hun, what, what, what happened? What, what's wrong? I literally like thought like an emer- ha- something happened. And she just goes, it's Dell. And she starts sobbing. The, the waterworks come on. It, background. As I said, Dell's three years old. He's going through something right now. He's potty trained, but he's retrogressing because he thinks it's quite funny now to poop his pants. <laughs> Intentionally. This is, this is funny to him, okay? This is, this is, this is, this is not funny. <laughs> to us, not funny. And, uh, perspective, before the nine o'clock service last Sunday, Colleen gets the kids out seven o'clock and she's got to get him here to church. She gets them all ready and everything. They all go to the bathroom and everything. She gets him out to the car and as she's getting him in the car, she gets Chase all buckled in and everything. And Dell's just standing there going, uh oh. She goes, what? She goes, you didn't. He goes, yeah. He soils himself. This is, you know, this is 7.15 in the morning. Oh, you know, unbuckle everybody back in the house. She gets them all done, all cleaned up. She doesn't even have time. She just leaves it where it is, comes to church. Here at church the whole day with the kids, everything, the bathroom, whole thing. Gets home Sunday night. Gets the kids. We're going to put them, you know, just by herself. I'm here. Puts them all down and everything. She takes Dell to the bathroom. And it's like, Dell, we're going to, you know, we'll give you Pez, you know, if you, if you do this. And he goes to the bathroom like, good boy, you know, high five and chase, cheer, yay. And he goes to bed. She goes downstairs and goes, sits on the couch, you know, she's going to wait for me to get home. And 10 minutes she's sitting on that couch. And guess who comes walking down the stairs with his pants off, holding him, dripping. And she goes, Dell. And then she looks over his shoulder and sees it all the way up the stairs. Stair after stair after stair. And she, she said she followed the trail and went to his room where he had begun an art project. <laughs> you understand why this is overwhelming to her? And she, and she starts telling me this, and, and, and she just starts crying. Waterworks in full effect. And again, this is the scariest moment for men, because all I can think is like, how do I get this to stop? This is bad on many levels. This is how do I... And I go to my default response. I thought rationally. I was like, you know what? I was like, okay, all right. This is not the end of the world. Clearly, he's going through a stage. I've seen this on Super Nanny. This is, you know, this is not so bad. This is not, you know. And then I caught myself, because like, we are a, a couple of hours removed from this love and respect thing. And I'm like, no, 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 no. That would be like minimizing her. Like, I think it's not a big deal. And she can't handle it. But it is a big deal to her. So my mind quickly goes to response number two. Like, you know, sweetheart, relax. You know, relax. We can fix this. We'll put him back in diapers. We'll fix it. I can clean it up. Wear those yellow gloves. I got the Clorox. You know, fix the problem. And understand, by the way, this is happening in the span of like 2.7 seconds, you know, as you just start and when you're in these things. But then I stopped for a moment. And I was like, all right, I'm going live here. I'm doing it. And I put on Pink's glasses. I'm like, I'm going to see this through her world. And, and instead of minimizing or offering a solution, I was like, yeah, I'm going to do this. I'm, I'm, going to, I'm going to try to meet her here emotionally. I thought, I'm going to get in the pit and try to understand this. So, so you know, I, I took my laptop bag. I put it down. And, you know, like a lot of men, I don't cry so much when I get upset. I usually get mad. So I sit down on the couch with her, and I'm like, sweet, I'm just, oh. And she buried her face, you know, into my chest. And I start stroking her hair, and I'm just like, you know, what, just, just say what you're feeling, Tim. What's, you know, what's going on inside? And as, as she nuzzled in, I was like, sweetheart, I, I'm going to go upstairs and wring that little kid's neck. <laughs> and she's like, what? What? She, I go, yeah. I go, I am, I am sick of this. I go, I'm, I'm going to give that kid the spanking of his life. 
Uh, and it actually felt a little good, actually, to say that. And, uh, and, Colleen, and Colleen was like, no, 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 no. She's like, no, it's not that bad, you know. But it's just, it's just, you know, she threw up her hand. She just goes, what are we going to do? We, what are we going to do? And I just met her there. I go, I, I, go, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know how you do this. I, I feel hopeless. Do you, do you want to give them back? I think, you know, we should. <laughs> and she started laughing. And I put my arm around her. And you know what? We were in that moment. What's the word? Close. Because we shared a moment of understanding. And instead of us just missing each other, we, conflict actually drew us closer, eye to eye. That doesn't come naturally for me, men. Colleen has needs that I don't have. But guys, listen up. If you're going to love that woman, if you're going to serve her, if you are going to sacrifice for her as Christ gave himself up for us, you're going to have to decide if you are up to the challenge of placing her needs ahead of your own. She has needs you don't have for closeness, for openness, for understanding. Is that okay? Is that more than okay? Would you be willing to actually sacrifice your needs to meet her there because that's the challenge Christ has called us to. To, to, to love a woman well is to think pink. Not to become pink, but to bleed blue as you lead and you serve her in the footsteps of Christ. Amen? May it be that way with you this week in your relationships. Let's, let's pray together. Jesus, thank you so much. Uh, Lord, this doesn't come naturally, and I suppose that's why you put it as a command in the Bible, Lord. And we need supernatural strength to do it, God. We are uh, imperfect people, but we thank you for your guidance. We thank you for your encouragement. Thank you for the relationships here, God. I pray that now that you'd even open up conversations this week in our life groups, Father, and over lunch and dinner, and um, that you'd forge new understanding, Father, between uh, every man and woman here. Thank you, Father. We look forward to growing more into your image, Jesus. In your name, amen.